0: the squadron they called him bullets but we call him greg kelly greg kelly is on the air on the red apple podcast network we're back anthony weiner to the left here's truly to the right we can be heard saturdays um uh four to five Curtis Lewa and Anthony Weiner. And then before that, the two-hour extravaganza involving Anthony Weiner, a true Democrat, taking on a lot of Trumpers out there. Very civil discussion at times. It gets a little heated. Uh, but it's what both sides uh, need to be able to do and uh, what needs to be heard by both sides. So you do an excellent job of that, Anthony. Thank you. Now I'd like you to imagine, since radio sometimes is theater of the mind that you are in the Virgin Islands, St. Croix, you're with Team Biden, you're hunkering down like all elected officials do about this time of year and basically review, okay, what was and what is and what do we have to do. Big election year upcoming. Lots of questions about uh, Biden's physical abilities to go through a campaign and what to do if, in fact, it's a replay of 2020. So if you were sitting down, if you were a confidant of President Joe Biden, what would you be telling him at this particular time as you approach the new year? Well,
1: first of all, I would tell him you're not getting any younger. And the age thing is going to continue to be a problem. And you can try some atmospheric things around that, but you're still going to be old. But the first thing I would do is I'd say, listen, Joe, the single biggest determinant of who becomes president is one issue, and that's the economy. The famous... Carvel, explanation, it's the economy stupid still holds today. So I would read Joe Biden some of the stats, that the Dow is now in record territory. Inflation is now below where the Fed uh, target level is. It's below 3%. They've announced they're going to lower interest rates next year. GDP, the growth of our economy, was 4.9% in the last quarter of this year, higher than it ever was under Donald Trump. The best job market since the 1960s, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The lowest number of uninsured people in health health insurance anytime in history. Crime is coming down across the country. Consumer sentiment, this thing that they do to show how much confidence people have, is rising. Wage growth, new business formation, and then you compare it to the other G7 countries. We've come out of this inflation problem faster than any of the others have, and on top of it all, Our domestic oil and renewable production is higher than it was at any time in American history, including under Donald Trump. So I say you've got good news here.
0: So you made me feel good. I'm Joe Biden. I'm feeling good. I'm surrounded by my other uh, confidants, my wife, Jill.
1: You made me feel good. Now give me the bad news. Well, the bad news is that, and this is where the advice comes in, Joe Biden has been very smart, and so is Chuck Schumer, to say, look, we got to do a deal on immigration here. And if that means agreeing to build this dopey wall, you know, I, I've told you this before. I'm a progressive. I say build the wall because it's a compromise. People get what they want. They, you know, not everyone gets what they want, but they get a little bit. And I think if that's what it takes, I think that I would have an asylum program that says let's get hundreds of new officers down to the border. So it's not a four year wait for asylees. It's a it's a four week wait or a four day wait, and people get held there at the border to take the pressure of everyone else. Take that issue away. Now Republicans don't want a deal because they want to have this issue. But if I'm Joe Biden, I say, listen, let's get aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, aid to protect the the, the uh, Taiwan, and let's get an immigration deal as part of it. And then the final thing I would say to him, I, I would say to him is, look, your age has become such a big problem. Let's limit the amount of time that you're out there. Let's make sure you're reading off a teleprompter and belt out these statements a little. You sound so infirm, but you're not going to be able to change that so much. And I think the news in 2024 is going to be so much about Donald Trump and his legal problems that ultimately when you're dealing with these moderate independent voters, if they say, hey, the economy is humming finally, we've dealt with this problem on immigration, and we're acting like adults as it relates to Israel and Ukraine, I think he's going to get reelected.
0: Now, what do you do about the looming crisis involving his son, impeachment proceedings uh, for the Trump administration? They obviously were a distraction every time he had to go through impeachment proceedings. Uh, This might be Biden's first time at it. Uh, The Hunter Biden case has uh, blown up.
1: Uh, what do you tell them about that? Because now you're talking about family. Well, there isn't anything to do there. I mean, Hunter Biden's going to be, you know, maybe there'll be a trial. Hunter Biden's not been indicted. And I've said all along, if the guy did anything illegal, indict him. Unless there is something out there that the Comers of the world, the Jordans of the world haven't told us yet, there isn't anything connecting to Joe Biden. And one thing the American people have shown is that they don't, they didn't like this. Remember, you know, people it, people—forget how low in the polls that that I won't say Cuomo that that Clinton was when all of this stuff started, when all of the Monica Lewinsky stuff started in 1998, when I was running for uh, for office. That was basically when the comeback began for for um, Clinton because it was seen by the American people that the Congress was pursuing stuff that didn't relate to them. And let me just make one final point on this: there has never—I'm not saying every once in a while. Never been a Congress that has been less productive than the House of Representatives this year. They spend all their time fighting about stuff all the time, focusing on impeachments. I think w- that if I am Joe Biden, I triangulate against, against the House of Representatives and say, listen, you need me to be an adult because these guys are not acting that way. You
0: think he would listen to any of that?
1: Hey, I, look, the, the, the economy is the big thing. Well, he's and-
0: screaming now that, He's not getting proper attention to Biden economics or whatever he calls that uh, that's sort of. Uh, I guess you can call it uh, the merging of his name with the Bidenomics, Bidenomics. He's claiming the media isn't being fair to him about that. So what do you do? You you say you're not going to make him you're not going to expose him uh, as much because he's guilty of a faux pas. Every time he makes a public appearance, there's some kind of faux pas, especially when he goes off script. The guy refuses to stick to the script. He's like Trump. He refuses to stick to the script. You, as a speechwriter, you work laboriously. Let's say he reads through it on the teleprompter. And then halfway through the speech, he decides he's going to tell a Joe Biden yarn. How do you discipline this guy? Because the advice that you're giving, even though I'm not going to support Joe Biden, uh, that's, a, that's pretty damn good advice. I just don't, don't see how you rein them in because I'm sure others have told them stick to the teleprompter,
1: yeah, Joe. Yeah, but, you know, I want to tell you, if you had a choice, when you're a candidate, you want just – you want the facts you want the record to decide. You know, I, I always equate the economy to being like crime, that when things get better, it takes a long time for people to get the perception out of their mind that they had of a day. And, and when we saw Rudy Giuliani had the same experience, when crime started turning around – In New York City, it took kind of a while for New Yorkers to say, hey, I didn't get mugged today. I didn't have my car broken into today. Things are getting better. The economy story is going to start getting told better and better. And the other thing that happens, you know this happens in, in in the media. First, he gets beaten down, and now he's at record low approval ratings because the left and the right don't like him. The left don't like him because of Israel. The right don't like him because his name is Biden. That's eventually gonna, gonna change a little bit. And I think the media is gonna say, all right, let's tell this story a little bit more about the economy. But I think it's gonna be, we have two very, very unpopular guys running for mayor. Uh, I'm sorry, running for president. I think if, if you put every Democrat and every Republican under, under truth serum, they would both say, we don't want our candidate running. We want some other person running. But this is who we got two unpopular candidates. And I think it's gonna be a repeat of 2020 where Biden won comfortably.
0: Now, the extreme left,
1: Uh, The progressive
0: left, the socialist left in your Democratic Party seems, at least in urban areas, to gotten stronger. They haven't weakened. They haven't flattened out. How does he keep both sections together rolling in harmony so he doesn't have to overcompensate one over the other and then appear to be not even able to have his Democratic Party in order?
1: Well, I think that you remember Joe Biden ran for for president in 2020 as the moderate in the field, right? You had all these left candidates, yep. And then there was him, and and so, look, I, I think that you can overread some of these polls. I think as you get closer to November of 2024, Republicans are going to come home, Democrats are going to come home, and then it becomes, what do you do with those four percent, five percent, six percent in these six or seven swing states? What do they do? And I think they're persuaded by the economy. They're persuaded by the trauma that they experienced having Donald Trump as president for four years. They're persuaded by all the court cases and they hold their nose and come home to, to, to Biden. I think our left and the Republican right are similar in that whatever complaints they may have, they're going to come home come election day. Now, what do you, what do you make of the polls?
0: Many of them are by what we consider to be pretty liberal outlets, they're polling combines that are showing that Donald Trump is really beating Joe Biden in these swing states, and it isn't by one percentage point or two.
1: What do you make of that? Well, we've only had one real good, solid swing state poll, and I think that, that Donna, that you can overread the polls right now because what we're finding and when I take a look at these polls and look at the cross tabs and you do this similar kind of deep dive into these polls, where where Joe Biden is hemorrhaging support is not among independents and not among uh, not among Republicans it's among his left who are upset with him about Israel. So some of these polls, when you see that he's got lower approval ratings than W did after Hurricane Katrina, some of it is just because people are saying right now they're just – right now every poll is, how do you think Joe Biden is doing? And he's doing lousy by a lot of of people's assessment. As you get closer to elections, it starts looking more like a binary. But don't expect this to be anything more than a 50-50 coin toss for the foreseeable future, that's what it is. Even in these swing state polls, you've got you've got um, uh, Donald Trump up by three points, but the margin of error is six points. It's a very close race. I'm not going to say it's not, but I think we now know what this race is going to look like because we just saw it in 2020. And and Joe Biden won by about now, nine million. you
0: votes. said a lot of people listen and they hear experts like yourself who do analytics, the crosstabs. What well, what are, are crosstabs to those who don't really know what you're talking about?
1: Well, there's the, the the numbers that you're looking at. Basically, three things when you look at a poll: one, the size of the poll, the net number of people. When you get to about uh, between 1,100 and 1,600 people, that's plenty enough to be able to say what the country is thinking. But within that 1,600 respondents, meaning the people that are answering, if you want to find out what, le- what, what Hispanic women are thinking, then you're getting, of that 1,600, you're getting a fraction of that, say 85 or 90 or 100, and so it becomes a much less statistically significant number. The other thing you want to look at is the two letters next to the count. Is it RV? Is it, uh, is it registered voters? Is it LV? Likely voters? And those are those are basically, you know, sometimes it'll just be citizens, people just call up on the phone, what do you think of the how the president the the president is doing. And then the third thing you look at is the margin of error, meaning that if you see a poll that someone is up by 3 points, but the margin of error is 5 or 6 points, that means basically it's a tie. That means that you can't you can't really tell. So the cross tabs or if you're trying to find a specific amount, say how younger voters, you have to take that 1500 person poll and look at just the people who say it identifies being, being 25 or younger. And you see you're down to 200 or 300 people and you realize that, okay, now the margin there is much bigger for that. Tax.
0: All right. Up next, so I'm going to put you in a different kind of position. You're an advisor to Team Trump. He's looking good now. He's looking strong. He's got, uh, obviously the Iowa caucuses coming ahead and then New Hampshire, South Carolina, and then Super Tuesday. What advice would you give him if you were just a Hessian mercenary political consultant who has a track record of being able to guide presidential candidates to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue?
1: Traffic jams, tailgating, pile ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right.
0: We put you in a situation now. You're at Mar-a-Lago. You've been called in by former President Donald Trump to give advice because uh, you are a student of politics, uh, Anthony Weiner. What advice do you give him as he's now going to go through the Republican primary process to uh, hopefully get re-nominated and re-elected?
1: Well, i got to tell you, he's done remarkably well, and I hate to admit this because I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump, but the way that he has... Taken the Republican party, the pro law enforcement party, the party that believes that when you get arrested there's probably a good reason for it when you get indicted, it means you probably did something wrong and has turned all of that on the head so now members of Congress talk about the 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 way they've the weaponized judiciary against him he was he's been indicted now ninety one times by American citizens, grand jury members in Florida in Washington. So he has done this amazing job of turning this narrative on its head. One thing I know, though, is kind of like the angry uncle that we have at the table at Thanksgiving. You're not going to keep him on message. You know, just yet I heard you earlier on the radio. You know, uh, um, Donald Trump put out this very nice, warm, unifying Christmas message in video. And then he goes on social media and tells his opponents to rotten hell and they're all going to sh- destroy America. I would say, Don, all you have to do is try to keep that instinct in check because the other stuff's working. You've neutralized this 91 indictment thing. Now, it all can be thrown out the window if um, Nikki Haley comes in a close second. is only a couple of points off his tail in New Hampshire. But I think what's going to happen, Trump's going to win Iowa by 40 points. It's going to turn out to be kind of a two-person racist for a couple of weeks, and then he is going to be off to the races. He's going to raise a bunch of money. I don't think there will be much of a primary fight. So if I had to give him any advice, it is keep up this trying to, you know, somehow make the law enforcement the enemy. Somehow you've succeeded. You took the January 6th, the January 6th rioters over the 120 police officers who were injured that day. He's done a remarkable job in turning this whole conversation on its head. The Wisconsin Supreme Court – sorry – the Colorado Supreme Court knocked him off the ballot. I'm sure the Supreme Court is going to put him back on the ballot, and I think that the that the w- w- the the way that they have been able to message that that um, the only old person in this race is Joe Biden, and that all of these 91 indictments are all because they're out to get me has been masterful, and I would tell him to keep up it. it the only way, like if he, he can figure out a way to solve this problem that he has, that he sits now with the Nick Fuentes of the world, he sits now with the Kanye's. By the way, see Kanye apologize for his anti-Semitism today. He kind of, I don't know, someone at Adidas got to him or something. If he can just figure out a way to stop scaring moderate voters, I think Donald Trump is is basically playing his hand about as well as you possibly could.
0: Well, that was very fair, very fair of you. I wasn't expecting that, to be honest with you, Anthony Weiner, because you were looking at it based on analytics, based on where you thought he was. I would say he was at a very low ebb when he had dinner with Kanye West. And neo-Nazi boy Fuentes, when it seemed like uh, two-thirds of the Republican Party had turned against him, like, what, are you out of your mind? Are you going to mentoring these guys? Get out of here. And then slowly but surely, he just started make every day, every, it's almost like somebody who keeps just saying, okay, DeSantis, you're going to knock me out and just start wailing away. When we come back, your advice to DeSantis He's got to make a decision. If he doesn't take Iowa, what does he do and what kind of future does he have? Nikki Haley, is there an importance in having a a vice president candidate or is it just like it's really only going to come down to whoever it is that you're actually electing for president of the United States? So much to discuss. And I noticed the one issue you haven't mentioned that almost every Democrat mentions is abortion. Abortion, which for a while there was like the battle cry, but I keep hearing it less and less. But I still seem to feel that when all is said and done, it's going to be a battle flag that the Democrats reach for, especially when it comes to the congressional U.S. Senate races and ultimately the presidential race to be determined. Coming up next. Greg Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, Anthony Weiner, political uh, advisor who has now worn both hats as we substitute for Greg Kelly. Let's go to the guy that I uh, supported, um, Governor DeSantis of Florida, who for many initially was going to be the one to stop Trump in the Republican primary. Uh, all the big people uh, put their money on DeSantis, uh, Fox News Channel, Wall Street Journal, Rupert Murdoch, you name it. He, everything was breaking his way. And we finished off talking about how it was at Trump's low point. He's sitting there in Mar-a-Lago having his chocolate cake with Kanye West spewing anti-Semitic regular next to uh, Nick Fuentes. Uh, you know, little neo-Nazi boy. And I forget that other guy, the gay guy, he was also, like, on the fringe. But anyway, the point being is DeSantis has slowly disassembled. I thought he had a bit of a comeback in that debate with... Uh, with Gavin Newsom. Which right. Yeah. Which I thought was a very good precedent. to get more people debating. He handled himself well. But it just seems when he's out on the campaign trail, he does not connect with average, everyday people. What what do you see as the future? Where does he go?
1: What does he do? Well, he probably tries again in four years. I mean, look, this is one of those examples that we see. Every presidential year there are these candidates that the media falls in love with and says, hey, this is this is the guy. And in retrospect, it now seems obvious and I kinda of call this, I did a podcast back in May, this whole idea of building your campaign on this notion of fighting woke. Florida is where woke goes to die. And the other thing about his record on COVID is that in both cases, they turned out not to be great scaffoldings for a presidential campaign. And the bigger problem that all of these candidates had, but particularly DeSantis, is why you when you won't really try to lay a glove on Donald Trump, like you never really laid out that contrast. And then to combine it all was this almost cartoonish portrayal of you as being awkward on the campaign trail. We've all kind of seen these videos. But he still represents an important, a big state. He's gonna, he's not going anywhere. He's not gonna win the, the nomination. It looks like he may or may not come in second in Iowa, but it doesn't matter. He's basically done. Now, what happens is that basically, you know, losing a presidential primary is not the end of the world. Joe Biden lost a bunch of presidential primaries. He'll come back. He'll have another opportunity. Um, what I would say his thing should be now is to figure out a way to make a little bit of light of yourself a little bit. The if, if one thing, you know, we were talking about it off mic about the experience that that Bill Clinton had. He had this very long speech. By the way, I was at that speech in 1988 in Atlanta. I was working as a doorman, as a young volunteer. I watched the speech and I'm like, my, this is amazing. And then I turned on the TV. Everyone thought it was terrible because it went on too long. But I was such a nerd. So, wait, 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 wait. so you were in Atlanta the nominated Dukakis after a very
0: heated primary, very heated. Uh, Bill Clinton was not running at that time, but like he was the up-and-coming. I
1: think he was the – I don't think he was the actual keynote, but he was one of the – because I think it was not the last night that he spoke. I think it was the before the last night. But he was one of the featured new guys. Right. New guy, young face. and uh, And he came out there and gave what I thought was a great speech, but was panned everywhere – and and he immediately said, I'm going to poke fun at this a little bit. If I'm DeSantis, I relax. Say, listen, I'm not going to win. Y- you know the easiest way to be a candidate is when you are unburdened by a lot of expectations. That's the big advantage you're going to have if you get an opportunity to run a, for a second time. You're, you're going to have the weight of the world's not going to be on you. It's going to be on Eric Adams. Well, the same way now, DeSantis, it's Nikki Haley that's going to have all the arrows facing at her. It's Donald Trump that's going to be coming after Nikki Haley. If I'm DeSantis, I lighten up a little bit. I try to make a little bit of light of the 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 discard. And I try to frame this as, okay, I am in it to try to help Donald Trump or whoever the nominee is. It's not going to be me. The people have spoken. I'm too weird. I get it.
0: Well, look, look at what happened with uh, then uh, the up-and-coming uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, He went on and on in that uh, speech, as you mentioned, the day before they nominated Dukakis, and uh, he became the butt of every uh, late-night talk show. So Arsenio, who was very popular at that time, sort of like uh, not the Johnny Carson type, the total opposite type, he came on Arsenio, the dog pound, and played the saxophone, remember, with the dark glasses, was self-deprecating. And you're right. All of a sudden, people look at him differently, said, ah, he's young. Of course, of course. He's got time. And you're you're so right. He came back. Can DeSantis, though, be self-deprecating? Because he's got this veneer. It's like I'm a a cultural warrior and I don't make fun of myself. You see, I look at Donald Trump. And like I said, I've had a love-hate relationship with Donald Trump over 30 years, going back to him being citizen Trump. This guy was a germaphobe. This guy would not shake your hand. All of a sudden, he's running against 17 people. He's on that stage, right, that first debate in Cleveland. It's like it's a mosh pit with the crowds, right? there, They're grabbing onto him. They're glomming onto <laughs> him. This is the guy who was a germaphobe. I got to imagine he had to do something to overcome that. That's like he was the equivalent at that point of, what can I say, how would being a germaphobe? He just did not want to be in the presence right. of any strangers whatsoever. And yet, look at what he turned So there has to be a method where you begin to self-address your limitations as a candidate and you work away at it. He'll have more than enough time to do that, that's for sure, because I do not believe that he's even going to be in consideration to be a vice president, move to Georgia temporarily, all that nonsense. They explained how that could be done. I just think he's going to have to sit on it uh, the, the rest of the way as governor and then possibly make another run.
1: Yeah. First, of all, I think I think there'll be a race in four years one way or the other. Right. You no, know, whoever get, winds up getting elected, this there'll be another race in four years. But what you point out is that's when it works the best. Someone who says, oh, my goodness, I thought that guy was a, a, a jerk and he's making these jokes about himself. That's the, that is a path that has been time worn. that you do something that gets people to look at you in a little bit of a different way. And right now, I think that he has, you know, some, one of his consultants, when asked what status the campaign has, they said it's kind of in convalescent care. We're trying to make the patient feel comfortable talking about DeSantis. <laughs> that's how, that's how it is now. But one of the ways that he can do this and say, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to dust myself off. My super PAC is shut down. It's just me. Now I'm an underdog again. No, he's not going to win, but know that people are watching to see if there's someone they might want to consider in the future. I think his concession speech on, on Iowa is going to be very important. People are going to pay attention to that a little bit. Um But look, this has been a, a very—you know—you have said this several times. If you're going to run in a primary against against Donald Trump, but not criticize Donald Trump, it's really hard. No, no. it's really hard to get any legs. You under don't. You.
0: you don't have to be a Chris Christie, which that's the bulk of what he does all the time. But you got to take the gloves off. I mean, look. From the moment that it appeared that DeSantis was going to jump into the race, Donald Trump started airing ads through PACs and all friends of Trump that just eviscerated DeSantis, and he never responded. He held his fire. He kept his powder dry. Big mistake. When you're in there with a bully, you got to be throwing punches because the more you dummy up, it looks like you're afraid. It looks like you. It gives the appearance that you're not willing to take him on,
1: right? And 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 remember, whenever effectively Donald Trump was the incumbent in this race, yes. So everyone else was trying to convince people to fire that incumbent, and if you're not willing to bring that case, and I agree, Chris Christie went too far in the other direction. That you know, he seemed to be only he seemed to be animated only by vengeance. I think they that and um, the amazing thing is, I don't think Chris. There was no sign that DeSantis thought this through. What did he think was going to happen? And again, I think Trump has run an excellent campaign. You would turn on Fox News and see three, four anti-DeSantis ads. No pro-Trump ads, just anti-DeSantis That's ads. Right. It was, you know, but I, but listen, four years, I, I can who, someone is going to come in second. It looks like it might be Nikki Haley this time. And so then it's, 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 you're, you, I think you, you can put, uh, you can put DeSantis well, on a
0: very short list. You can't tell Nikki Haley that. Uh, she's got the big money behind her now. It's basically retreated from DeSantis. It looks like it may be a one-on-one contest. If I were Nikki Haley and her advisors, I would say watch everything that Trump did with Hillary because now you are the new Hillary. That's a good point. Yeah. Except you're the Republican. Hillary made a number of mistakes with Trump when he went on the attack. In which he just basically she flicked him, flicked him off like he was dandruff. I think uh, Nikki can learn from those mistakes because already you hear it, bird brain. You, you hear all the Trump, <laughs> Trumpisms towards her. She's not a bird brain. I mean, you you chose her to be your UN Secretary General to the United Nations, and she did a good job. Oh no, she did Stop it. She did a good job. She was well respected. She is not a bird brain.
1: Yeah, but as reliably as the swallows return into Capistrano and the sun coming up in the morning, the media builds you up and tears you down. And we're in the middle of a big buildup period for Nikki Haley. So now they, they're they turning their attention away from DeSantis. They're going to come after Nikki Haley. And this is going to be a moment for her. But I got to tell you, I don't really know what she says about Donald Trump at this point. Does she turn it up a little bit now that she's nipping at his tail and she's unifying the non-Trump voters? Or does she try to, like, lay low to avoid the, the kind of scenario that that everyone else runs into where you run into the buzzsaw? You can make an argument right now in the Democratic primary. More people are anti-Trump than they are Trump. And maybe she can inherit that wind. And maybe what she does is slightly turn it up the volume a little bit on on Donald Trump to see if she can put a nail in the coffin. I think all of this we're going to look back on in three months and say, oh, that was a nice novel little parlor game because it's Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. But that's my, my, my advice to her.
0: Well, it makes it interesting because uh, with DeSantis being dealt out of the deck, uh, the floor is clear for Haley. She's got New Hampshire and South Carolina. If she's going to do anything, it's in those two states. Anyway, uh, when we come back, we've got to discuss. Um, oh, am I right or am I, can I continue here? I, I lost my clock here. All right, so you keep me on guard here. Uh, we've got to discuss the issue of abortion. You have not brought that up. Now, typically in any kind of Democratic scenario, the one defining issue that has been raised, it was by Hochul in her Democratic campaign against Zeldin locally. I mean, in every ad, it was January 6th and abortion. January 6th, abortion. Congressional races, uh, I truly believe that the Republicans did not do as well as they thought they were going to have, the Great Red Wave, because of the abortion issue. It's always been a strong issue for the Democrats, but this time, how does it play out? Because ever since Roe v. Wade, it's a whole new playing field as each state determines what route they're going to take. Donald Trump has been a bit evasive. DeSantis was like, that's it. Almost no abortion under any circumstances, old school. Nikki Haley will have to define her position. I'm sure she's going to be pressed in uh, these upcoming uh, primaries as to what it is. And, again, uh, your advice in terms of what has to be done, because it was the issue, I believe, truly, Uh, and the reason that Joe Biden became president of the United States. When you look at the number of women who vote versus men, women are voters. Men talk a lot of trash. Uh -uh, I'm going to vote. And how many times have I had conversations and they say, yeah, when's the election? It already passed. What? You're kidding. And then you look at the wife, right? The wife's all quiet because the guy is bombastic. Ma'am, did you vote? Yeah. Who'd you vote for? Biden. Just don't bring it up. I've had enough battles. I want to stay with my husband. I don't want to have to leave my husband. Why did you vote for Biden? Abortion. Even amongst Republican women... Men dominate the conversation, but you will hear a number of Republican women who are not happy with the way the party deals with the whole question of abortion. I'll even relate to you what happened in a recent meeting that I was in involving the New York GOP, where once again they did not recognize me. They never do. I get recognized by Democrats at their meetings more so than by Ed Cox and the New York GOP, where the women brought up abortion and the men were stoic. No. And I say, hey, clean the wax out of your ears. You better listen because it's the women who are the majority of the voters. And guess what? Unlike men, they do vote. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So i got to believe, Anthony Weiner, that the issue of abortion is once again going to be the Democrats' trump card in both the national election, in the many uh, U.S. Senate elections, the congressional elections, even down to some local elections at state levels. We've already seen plebiscites, initiatives, referendums done in states that were heavily read it didn't come back with a, a pro-life decision on the part of the plebiscite. So I happen to be a guest uh, at a New York State GOP confab where they were introducing the new Speaker Johnson, who everyone pretended they knew all about him. They knew nothing about him. He was like, you know, strange. oh, I've known him for years. Get out of here. They introduced everybody in the room, including the waiters and waitresses, and didn't even introduce me, the guy who ran against uh, Eric Adams. Okay. But I'm glad I went because I could see a clear division. All the males, uh, their their backs were up uh, the moment that some of the female Republicans brought up the issue of Republicans and how it's a divisive issue in in the Republican Party, never mind uh, with the general electorate. And Johnson was a holy roller, pro-life, very adeptly because he was in the New York City you see, you have to deal with it culturally first before legislatively. I said, culturally? Well, this is a new position, which is all part and parcel of the fallout of Roe v. Wade, where leave it to the individual states. You would never say down in Louisiana, his home state, well, we have to deal with it culturally. But in New York, in order to walk the tightrope, you said, well, we have to look at the cultural ramifications of this and then look at the legislative ramifications, which was very adept in him, but he never answered the question. So the man, staunch, it's not as big an issue as it's always made out to be. And the women kept coming up to me and saying to me, you know, unless our party gets a platform together that is based on some common sense on abortion, we're just going to be basically saying to a lot of women, not just Democrats, but independents and some Republicans, bye-bye. You know, we're not uh, we're not going to get into the swing of things. I noticed that in our two-hour discussion, mostly in the last hour where we've been discussing national issues, potentially Biden versus Trump and all the other uh, issues, you didn't bring up abortion. Is that because it is the Democratic Trump card and you didn't want to put the Trump card on the table?
1: No, I think that abortion is kind of like... The law of gravity right now, like there's no thing you're going to do to get out from under it if you're the Republicans. And I think that the Democrats just kind of know that they can pad a couple of points on their margin. Look, if you look at the trend lines, if you're a gambler, for example, you look at the trend line, there's two trends that are undeniable. One is since 2016, Republicans have lost every year. They lost in 2017. They lost. In Virginia, they lost in New Jersey in 2018. The Democrats swept the House of Representatives in 2020. Adam uh, Adams uh, Biden won in 2022 midterms. The Democrats basically fought them to a standstill. The Republicans underperformed. So that trend line is really worrisome if you're a Republican because when Donald Trump has entered the scene, Donald Trump has done okay that first time, but since then it hasn't been very good news. And the other trend line is anywhere that, abo- that abortion became an issue. Republicans lost. That included state judicial races. That included referenda, like you talked about. That included races where it became an issue for the candidates. There's nothing the Republicans can do. They they lit this time bomb. It blew up, and now they just have to deal with the problem. And it's a big one because it's one of those things that, you know, don't be surprised if you see the Democrats putting on the ballot on the same day that the presidential election is in places like Arizona, for example, a constitutional amendment on choice, and suddenly all of these plans, all of the talk about Joe Biden being old, all of these other things, to a core number of voters, it's going to be an anti Republican well, vote. Well,
0: we have the special election coming up in February thirteenth for the third congressional uh, district, as George Santos has been booted to the cameo curb, <laughs> and now we have Swazi, who basically is the district. He was uh, congressman for six years, chosen by the Democratic boss to run. The uh Republican boss chose Mazie, who again is a Democrat who refuses to become a Republican. That's still yet to be discussed. Yeah. They said the big Israel there, there are a lot of Jewish voters in the North Shore of Long Island is gonna be Israel. No way. It's gonna be abortion again. I have no idea Mazie's position. I know obviously uh she's not a big supporter of marital contraception because she has <laughs> yes. seven okay. lovely children, obviously. <laughs> But the point is, you know damn well what it's going to come down to, a special election to replace George Santos. And I guarantee you what will determine the outcome of who the women vote for after such
1: a a up-and-down term with George Santos is once again going to be abortion. This is the classic case, so be careful what you wish for. You might get it. The Republicans wanted this to go back to the states, and all they did was take a mess that was in one place and now made a mess for them everywhere else. And I don't, by the way, you know who else is going to have trouble getting out from under it? Donald Trump. You can't brag that you put the Supreme Court in place and then walk away with what the, from what they did. Right.
0: But he's uh, he's walked that tightrope a hell of a lot better than some of the other Republicans, like DeSantis, who married himself to a very staunch position Anyway, it's been a pleasure. These two hours, if you want to hear more of Left versus Right, Curtis and Anthony, it's Saturdays 4 to 5 after Anthony Weiner takes on all Trumpers from 2 to 4 in your place to be, our Mothership Connection, WABC.